two. Just tap the till it's solid. Excellent. Hey, so one tradition that we do at White Rose, why why we're called White Rose, you're like, I've been waiting for you to say this since we first showed up, Shane. We call ourselves White Rose Fellowship Church because when there's new life in Jesus Christ, um, we put a white rose out um, to symbolize that somebody's accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And as you can see, we do have a white rose on the piano this week. I was told a story a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to put it out there, that uh, a young man in our congregation um, was asked, hey, we were doing communion, and I said, have you ever done that? Because you shouldn't take communion unless you've uh, accepted the Lord. And he says, yeah, the very first time we took communion that I came to this church, I recognized what I needed to do, and I surrendered my life to God. And I just found out about that two weeks ago, and I remembered finally to put it out there, so praise God. Um, that was something that was very exciting. We're very excited about that. So, um, New life, and then fellowship is obviously the fellowship of believers coming together. Um, if COVID taught us one thing, it taught us life is hard to do by yourself, right? When they isolate us and they, they put us into different things, it is really hard to do life without us. And y'all just turned to blurs, so if you're mouthing something to me like I messed something up, I can't see it. You're going to have to just blurt it out because... All I can see is blurs out there, um, but I can read better now, so that's why I do that. Uh, yes, that probably need, means I need bifocals or something like that, but I don't know. We're in, Je- we're in Genesis chapter 29, that's enough about me. <laughs> Let's not talk about my eyesight, right? Genesis chapter 29, we've been walking through Genesis as um, it's really neat stories, right? We, oh, it's been a year or two ago that we went through Revelation, and we saw that God, Jesus is coming again. Well, then I decided we need to go back to the beginning to find out why he needed to come in the first place. And as Jesus comes into um, the mix, why he's there. And so if you look at the beginning, you look at the first Adam that has come, and you see that he chose a life of sin, and he's, he's walked us humanity down that road, and we've chose that life of sin altogether that we need, we're in need of a Savior. And as we see Jesus as that answer, these guys didn't get to see that yet. They didn't get to see that Jesus was the answer. They, they had this hope that was coming, and that hope is really described really well in um, Hebrews chapter 11. We call that the champions of faith, right? And so if you look at those guys, they were looking forward to the things that were coming ahead of us. And as we go we see the story of Jacob. Jacob was promised in chapter 28 that God is going to be with him. And I don't know if Jacob understood totally what that meant. But I think before God, he is justified. He is justified into heaven at that point in time. And I really see um, when he comes back 20 years later, is that's when he really starts to walk in submission to the Lord and maybe in uh, sanctification. There's you can make a case that he's done that beforehand, uh, but you can see it clearly uh, after God turns his name to Israel that he is walking in sanctification. What's that mean? He's walking toward holiness. What is holiness? It's opposite of sin, okay? It's opposite of sin. So when you say God is holy and the, he is described as holy, 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 
in um, the Old Testament, which would make it exponentially more holy than we could ever ask or imagine. Um, that's how holy God is. That's why we can't go into heaven in our current state because we have sin. And God can't be in the presence of sin. He will eradicate it just because of his essence of who he is. He can't be in the presence of sin. That's why we are in need of a Savior, right? Adam introduced it. We are in need of it, okay? So that's where we're at. So how many people here have seen God before? Nobody, right? I have not seen God. I've read about him. I've seen him work in my life. I've seen him as I see the wind, Right? I can't touch the wind. I, can't, I know it's there. I can feel there's air out there, but I can't see him. And so I have faith that there's air, that there's a current out there. Right, And I also have faith that God is out there working in our lives to draw us closer to him. And if you ask him to draw you in, he will. He will answer that prayer. And it's pretty intense, in my opinion. And um, the, the more you pursue him faithfully, the more intense it gets sometimes. Right? Uh, wow, the ride I've heard uh, from some of the congregants even here on how they've gotten to where they have is pretty amazing. So Genesis chapter 9, we're going to read the first eight verses. Um, we have four points this morning, so I better not dawdle because sometimes that means I go ten minutes extra. But I got time this morning, so. It says, then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. Well, remember that his Mom and dad sent him off to find a wife, right? That's, that's where we left. That's last time we met our heroes, right? Um, he's left to go on the same journey that his uh, father's, so his grandfather's servant took to find Isaac a wife, right? So his mom was at the same well that they're going to show up at. Pretty cool. So verse 2, he saw a well in the distance, three flocks of sheep and goats, lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was accustomed there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stones and water the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked them, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they asked. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked? Yes, we do. They replied, is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he is well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter, Rachel, now with the, with the flock now. Da, 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 da. You know, you hear the romantic music just starting up right there, you know. It's like, uh, Jacob says, look, it's, it's broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't we water the sheep and goats so they can get back to pasture? We can't water the animals until the, all the flocks have arrived, they replied. And then the shepherds moved to the stone. Then the shepherds moved the stones from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep's, the sheep and the goats. Man, I get shot if I if I was preaching at Bureau Township and I called them sheep's. It's a country church that I grew up at. Sheep and goats. Oh boy. So God uses circumstances to shape His people. Jacob walks up to the same well, whether he knows it or not, that um, his mother was found at and was discovered and brought back to his father, Isaac, right? So they walk up there years um, earlier. This happened, the same, almost the same scenario. Jacob um, was talked to a little bit before by God and met on the road there where um, 
dad's servant prayed at this point and then uh, walked into this, right? So he first, he talks about things that he knows, right? So he knows about his uncle Laban. He knows that uh, he should be in the area somewhere. And so he asks of them, and uh, Baruch says he asked him of the past tense. So I thought that was interesting because he wants to know, um, he's looking for his character. How has he been? Do you know him? Has he got a good reputation? And all those things was answered yes, because Heron is just right around the corner from the well, and that would be so. Th- what he wanted to know. And then he, he inquires about the sheep being watered. Because he is a shepherd as well, he would know the routine. He would know how it would go and what should be done. And the fact that it wasn't getting done that way was obviously perplexing to him. He was like, what in the world are you guys doing? You don't lay your sheep down the middle of the day out in this hot sun without giving them water. This is just ridiculous. Why are you doing it like this? Right? And so why aren't they back out on pasture so they can get uh, better, bigger, fatter, and more profits, more wool, all these things that go along with this, right? And so that there are things that he knows. He knows about his family. He knows his occupation. And this is why he finds out their reason for watering the sheep and when he does that as well. And he assumes upon himself his uncle's authority to water the sheep, okay? So he doesn't necessarily know why he's doing, like, why would he go out there and, and just water a bunch of sheep on his own, right? Uh, this, this um, traditionally, a well is stagnant water in a sense it's being fed by something else, maybe an underground stream, maybe a runoff from somewhere, but it's going to be a cistern or it's going to be uh, something that's going to collect water. So if you were to get a sheep that would lean over the edge or fall in there or a coyote or something to that effect, um, it would ruin that water, not for just a time, but for a long time. And so they cover that up, and they would also cover it up because it's an arid climate. It's, it's warm over there, and it would evaporate too. And so they don't want to lose water, and they find that if you cover this up with a stone, it works well to insulate it and keep our, the water where it belongs, right? So it may be too much for one shepherd to um, do, or, or maybe two. I don't know, maybe he didn't, nobody, in, the, the men of Haran may not have their rights, but Laban had the rights to the well. It could have been Laban's well. We don't really know. So some of this is speculation. But Jacob knew how to get things done. He knew he could move that rock off there by himself. He knew how to do it. He noticed uh, that there's a task that needs to be done. He takes the risk and definitely got noticed. Everybody else is like, uh, we don't do it this way. Tradition says we don't, you know, whatever it may be. They're all just locking and going, uh, this is kind of strange. We've never done it this way. Sounds like church sometimes, right? <laughs> We've never done it that way. Um, that's one thing that we really try hard not to. If we do a tradition at, here at White Rose, I try to make sure that we know why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, we don't need to do it, right? So if we don't know the history behind our tradition, it's really important, uh, one, to question it, and two, um, if it makes sense to go forward. If it doesn't make sense or if it doesn't fit the time anymore, then it's okay to let it go, right? Traditions are important um, when they are pointing to Lord, our Lord Jesus, right? So, but when they're not, then it's time to let them go. 
So we find in Genesis chapter 28, 15, it says, um, this is God. He says, what's more, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. Jacob walks in faith after this. He sees that, hey, God is with me. If I do something bold at this moment, he's going to be there to protect me. And Jacob took God at his word. This is walking by faith. And when we know when we know what the right thing is and we do it, knowing there could be consequences, but also knowing that God is bigger than those consequences, right? Sometimes that is what faith is. We know it's the right thing to do. There might be consequences. It might not be tradition. You might get yelled at. You might get put in jail, something to that effect. But we know that our God is bigger than those consequences, and we are depending on him as we walk forward in his will. God will show up. God will show up. So God is with us. He promised this to the saints back then, and Jesus promised it when he was here. And he declared that promise through the Holy Spirit for us today. Isn't that amazing? You see that a lot written through uh, the book of John. Jesus declares that the Holy Spirit is here and that um, he is going to watch over us. He's going to be our counselor to get us through day to day. So also today, God promises that he will walk with us when we choose to walk with him by faith. What is one of the biggest names for Jesus when Christmas season comes along. It's Emmanuel, right? Which means God is with us, right? He says it right there. He declares that he is with us. He's not over us declaring what we should do. He's not under us giving us what we need. He's not next to us saying um, somebody we can bargain with or over here that he is my mission and I'm going to do all I can do for him. No, he's alongside us to lift us up when we fall. He is there to encourage us on and when we do what is right. And he is there to admonish us, which means discipline us, when we're not doing what's correct, right? And God uses these certain things, circumstances, consequences, difficult people over time to share those with his people, right? We see in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, So let us not get tired of doing what is good, At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do do good to everyone, especially, especially, this is what I learned this week, those in the family of faith, right? So we should, in a sense, treat them with special honor. When we... We have a benevolence fund here at at White Rose Fellowship Church. We help people out sometimes every once in a while with their bills and things, and we have to be careful on who and how we do that. Um, But God's been generous for us through all these years, and we try to be generous and help people out, especially in their time of need, right? And as we walk through and we see all these things, um, we also walk alongside those in our congregation. We try to come alongside them first and foremost, um, and then walk alongside the community when we have those, right? And so that is one of, one of the ways that we do that as well, right? When we have somebody hurting our congregation, we need to lift them up in prayer and 
um, watching over their families. Um, when somebody goes through surgery, we try to make sure we um, have a meal train going and things. Those are all little things that we could do to help out. And other things like uh, getting a directory and praying through that, which we might have to start a new directory these days, which is awesome. Um, so that's maybe I'll, I have to get a sign-up sheet uh, and put it out there so we can do that. Um, but then as we have this family of faith, we need to live by faith. And what does that mean? We need to live by believing and not seeing. We need to live by believing and not seeing. What does that mean? Well, what, what is a popular phrase that we hear today? Well, I'll, I'll believe when I see it, right? Well, that's actually opposite of faith, right? That's what Thomas was telling um, the disciples. He says, when I see the holes in his hands and the thorn in his, or in the, the stab wound in his side, then I'll believe. But until I see those things, I'm not going to believe you. And what's Jesus do? He walks through the wall, comes up to him and says, hey, peace be with you. So don't freak out. You're not going to die. But hey, Thomas, come feel my hands. Come look at my feet. Look at the stab in my side and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Wow. What a powerful, powerful. And, and can you see the little bit of sense of humor in Jesus right there too? I think he's got to be, just got a little bit of a ribbon him. Just, dude, I, what I just went through, and you can't believe after I rose from the grave that I couldn't do that? Come on, man. Right? So what does that mean? It means live by believing and not seeing. This is why we're, we proclaim the gospel. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Why do we have a fearful responsibility to the Lord? When I come across something that is more powerful than all the universe and all creation, he's more powerful than any earthquake or hurricane or tornado, and he's more powerful than cancer or anything that could take my life from this earth. That's something I want to submit my authority to and give it to him to surrender to his authority right that's my will that's my choice to give it to him by faith even though i haven't seen him but i've seen i've experienced god i've seen god show up in my life and i've seen some amazing things happen and um and i've seen you know that's one reason we talk this a hair of a side note but people always say well why don't why doesn't Satan show up. Why doesn't Satan just reveal himself as, as his evil demons and things? Because if Satan shows up, that means if there's a bad guy, there's probably a good guy, right? Um, and if you get in this long enough, and if you dig deep enough in your faith, Satan will show up, and he will present himself. And we have the power in the name of Jesus to rebuke that power and have authority over it because I've surrendered to my king. It is not my name as a knight that he recognizes. It is his name as the king. He name, recognizes the name of Jesus. Amen. So we work hard to persuade others. And 
God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. That's the end of that verse. It's such, I love the way uh, the New Liver, Living Translation translates that. And if you want to see the believing and not seeing verse, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, too. So if you want to write that down, um, I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> it's a new saying I'm trying to work into sermons. So, Yeah, it's from Bluey, if you've ever seen the, the cartoon Bluey. If you haven't, um, pretend that you're watching it with your granddaughter and uh, watch it. It's hilarious, right? God graciously uses circumstances consequences and difficult people over time to shape his people let's look how he uses some of these consequences in verse 9 jacob was still talking with them when rachel arrived of course the romantic music still going right um, with her father's flock for she was a shepherd and because rachel was his cousin the daughter of laban his mother's brother and because the sheep and the goats belonged to his uncle laban God, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from his mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And he explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on his father's side and the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You really are my own flesh and blood. This is the part of the story where it turns into Little House in the Prairie. Because if you've ever watched that show um, and the reruns, um, little Laura Ingalls runs everywhere, right? I think she, she was modeled after uh, Rachel in the Bible. They run in here and run in there and go, go get Paul. And he runs and goes, get, yeah, they're always running, right? Which I, I always thought is great. Uh, my brother pointed that out to me and I cannot unsee it now. So God uses consequences to shape his people. At the same well that his mother was at, his future wife shows up. It's the first woman he sees, just like we saw in the story before. Can you see the parallels and God is working I think we can. We can see that absolutely. One, the one bright sh- shining star that allows Jacob to make it through the next 20 years. And we'll talk about timing a little bit more. But that's about how long he's there. Rachel goes and gets her father, Laban, and he happens to be the biggest thorn in Jacob's side for the next 20 years, right? But we know in Romans eight twenty-eight that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, wait a minute, Shane. I've seen some pretty darn tough things that Christians have gone through, and how is he going to use that to work out for the good of those who love him? Well, I can't answer that question all the way because that is one of the hardest questions in Christianity. But... As we get through and we see a length of time and then we look back on our lives and we can see how God worked or didn't work because we refused to follow him, we can see that God has either worked out or he could have worked this path out a lot better if I would have dealt with the pain, I would have dealt with the suffering. What I do know is pain and suffering is the favorite tool of Satan, right? 
So pain and suffering does not come from the Lord, but it comes from Satan. And he is the one that is um, allowed to put those obstacles in our path. And God is shaping and transforming us through the pain and suffering to develop our faith in him. Okay? So are you walking toward Jesus in a relationship with him? Do you know God wants to be in relationship with you? It's like he's asking you out on a date forever. Um, to put it in junior high terms right there, right? Um, just mark yes in the box, right? Just, if you just mark yes, then, then, then we'll be a, an item, right? You know? No? All right, that one fell flat. That's all right. Just kidding. Um, I saw some smirks out there. Um, but, or are we going to say, no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go and do my own thing, and that's how it's going to be. So how do you know that you've marked yes? How do you know that you've chosen those things? Well, here are three ways. When you mark yes, when you say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to accept him as my Lord and Savior, we see this in your life. We see you overcoming sin right? You start to make choices that are, are coming from wisdom. That was a really dumb decision, right? Now I'm going to choose to follow him. This is what it is. So how is your spiritual walk with the Lord going? It might not be existent at all. Well, I've never even considered it. Well, ask the Lord. Reveal yourself to me. Guess what? He will. So be careful what you ask for, right? Be careful. He will. This is a time, Christian, for a good self-evaluation. We, I talk this, about this a lot, but this is something that we can do. We, we've done this in the youth room with the kids and showed them how. Print off, uh, uh, you know, it's, we're getting close to March, right? March Madness, what do you have? You have a uh, tournament, right? Basketball tournament, and so you have brackets. You go to bracketology.com or just look up on Google, uh, 64 team bracket, and you've you put out 64 things, you write it down on a slip of paper, and um, of priorities in your life. So it might be reading your Bible, spending time with your family, going to work, doing this, 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 this. And you write out 64, you mix them up in a hat, and you pull them out randomly, and you write them right down in your, on your brackets, right? So then you say, if these two come head to head, which one's going to win? Which one's going to win in my life? And you walk that through and you see what the priority is. And then you see, is that the what is the actual that's going on in my life? Or this is what should be? Because we choose what should be, right? It is our choice what we give priority to. We have to change our schedule to make sure we have time to read the Bible. We have to change our schedule to make sure we have time with our family. And we have to say no to some things that we that we would usually say yes to and um, so that we can make those other things a priority, right? I would love to do that. However, I've made a commitment to serve my family and tonight we are going to have family game night or whatever it may be, right? So in 1 John 3, 9, it says, those who have been born in God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. They overcome sin, right? So you recognize it as sin, 
and say, next time I get in that situation, how am I going to overcome that sin? Instead of just walking right down that lane again. So check your spiritual health. There's several ways to do it, and I've given you one example today. Number two, we obey God's word. When we obey the word of God, we, we are assured that we are in God's will. Provided we follow the whole counsel of Scripture, not just a bunch of cherry-picked passages that we are justifying our self-desires, right? Wow, that was a word. Our selfish desires, right? We want to make sure that we are walking as Jesus walked. How did he treat his bride? How did he look at the church with compassion first every time, especially to the worst of the sinners. He treated her with compassion every time. He lifted her up. He made sure that she was, um, had leadership, even though he knew the leader was going to fall. He had compassion first, compassion first, and then he led out of compassion, right? Can you tell what we've been talking about in men's group? <laughs> right? Compassion first, men. Jesus himself said in John 14, 23 through 24, says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Wow. We are getting word directly from God the Father through Jesus. Okay, so think about this. If something needed to be corrected in the Old Testament, don't you think Jesus would have corrected it? He never corrected the text. He always corrected the interpretation of the text. Right? What they read to you is correct. How they are going about doing it is wrong. And then he goes into the seven woes, right, of the Pharisees. And they just loved him after that. They said, thank you so much for admonishing us in front of this crowd. We love you. No, they killed him after that, didn't they? Yes, they did. Finally, the point number three says, um, bear fruit unto God. The Bible promises that those who are obedient to God, they are walking in his will, they're able to produce fruit okay i gotta say that some of you guys have been a very encouraging to me as we've walked through covid covid is a very discouraging time for a pastor and i'm not alone in this because i've had several pastors that say people just they're not coming to church anymore they're not showing up they're not doing this and it can be very frustrating but to see the group that we have today, and see the group that walked through with me through COVID faithfully, that was encouraging. My wife said, celebrate the ones you have, and that will go well with you. She said that years ago. We need to celebrate the ones we have. She probably told me 10 years ago, and I haven't forgot that. So when you go through a time with of COVID or something where, where people are are away we celebrate the ones we have and we reach out to the ones that aren't here right we try to do that as well 
because we find out in John 15, this is the vine and the branches, right? Verse 4 and 5 says, remain in me and I will remain in you. The ESV says abide in me, okay, which is similar, but I think a better description. For the branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain or abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We branch out into this community, but if we're not connected to the trunk, which I would say white rose is a bigger branch, we are not the trunk, right? The stump of Jesse, which is Jesus, if we're not connected there, and we don't connect back there, we aren't doing anything. We should be cut off and burnt, right? Does God ever cut off a part of you and burn it like ash? He does me. I hope, I hope I'm not alone. I'm getting pruned. Uh, Phil, you just pruned our little tree out there, the little tree that could, right? Uh, because what happens to that? It allows it to produce more flowers. It allows us to have more fruit. So now when you walk out the, the door, you'll notice the, the tree's been pruned, right? Um, but, yes. But it, it is really, it's a great illustration. Grapevines. Anybody ever tended a grapevine before? Um. Matt Lins, have you guys ever trended? I know you guys had fruit trees before. Grapevines, uh, yes, but, but I know you don't forget those experiences when you did as many years as you guys did. You look at those grapevines, and we, we used to have one down by our calf barn. And I would go down there, and I would try and try and try to hack that thing out of there. And I hacked at that thing and hacked at it for years, and I thought I finally killed the thing off. I was like, yes, I finally killed it off. And I come back out there, and there's this hog fence out, out next to it, paneling fence. And I look out there, and there's grapes. I've never seen grapes on this for years. And here's there's grapes on there, and they were actually halfway decently good. Well, the next year, I didn't hack it back at all because I'm like, wow, we got grapes on it. I'll, finally, I'll let it grow. We didn't have any grapes that year. It's because I didn't hack it back. That was, when, that was the first time I, I learned about uh, pruning and what it does for a fruit tree. It was because I was beating the tarnation out of the stinking grapevine. I even dug that thing out with a, with a skid steer one time. It is not coming back. It came back. It was like the cat, you know? It was carrying the rocket. I don't know if you've ever heard that cat came back song. It wouldn't stay away. So God graciously uses circumstances, consequences, difficult people over time to shape his people. Verse 15, it says, After Jacob stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without any pay, just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger daughter was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel... He told his father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years and paid Rachel to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong, it seemed to him but a few days. And this is the beginning of difficult people. 
right? This is the beginning of a difficult relationship between Jacob and Laban. God uses difficult people to shape us, shape his people. And this is my opinion only. I'm getting this a little bit from the context clues of the scripture, but it's still, I can't prove it. Um, so this is my opinion that this is how this could have went about, okay? That Laban knew what he had between Rebekah and Jacob. He could see it in Jacob's eyes. He could see how he was reacting. He had, so he allows it to happen for a month. And what happens over that month? Jacob falls in love with Rachel. And Laban's like, you know, it's a little bit of a gamble, but I'm going to allow him to set his wages because I know he's going to ask for her hand in marriage. I know it. Seven years is a long time for a, a bridal dowry, right? You only give seven years if you think that girl is priceless, which is obviously what he thought of Rachel. And so he takes after her, falls in love, and um, just is awestruck by this gal. He's, he allows Jacob to set the price, and Laban said sold as fast as he could. And Jacob probably didn't even recognize it because he's like, seven years is going to be a short time. So with that, with that enamoring of, of love, that pitter-patter of the, of the eyes, oh man, poor Jacob, he fell hard, didn't he? We need to be Beware of the Labans in our life. Sometimes the Labans are the person we're pitter-pattering our eyes at or that pitter-pattering our eyes at us, right? Beware of the Labans of your li- in your life. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? Amen to that. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. We're always asking, what's the catch? What is the catch? If you do not ask yourself what the catch is, you are in trouble because you are going hook, line, and sinker right down, and they are in control, and you're giving control. And if they are not in Christ as you are in Christ, or they don't have the integrity that you do, they're not going to honor the agreement that you thought you had. They're going to make a new one like Laman did, right? So 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can an unrighteous be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? This is a verse that is quoted so many times to uh, young couples that are trying to get married to a non-believer. Okay? If you come to me as especially a young lady... And you say, I met the man of my dreams. He has got everything. And he's halfway decent looking too. And I just love him so much. I'll say, great, I am so happy for you. Does he love Jesus? Well, no. But, you know, my parents, they, they got together and, and they go to church now because mom was a Christian and and." Dad was missionary dating, right? Right? That happened with you guys, didn't it? Right? 
how many, Jim and Jill, right? That's, Jill went to church and brought Jim and, and brought him to the Lord. And Jim loves the Lord today. Does that work out every time? I'd say that they are by far the exception, especially today. That happened to Brian and Danielle too. Good. But that is rare today. It is rare indeed. And there has to be an inclination, a foundation. There, Jim did have a foundation that he knew about Jesus. He just didn't know him as his personal Savior. And um, as we go through life, if there's no foundation there, I will tell you to put a hard line on it and know. And you, I can base this on history, okay? Do you know, it is speculated, I'll say, how the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, a Christian nation. It was because sexual immorality. Sexual, the non-Christian men and women would be promiscuous. And there was a rampant um, bout of of um, sexually transmitted diseases that went through the nation and through the empire. And the only people that didn't have these sexual, that didn't have these sexually transmitted diseases were the young ladies of Christian families, okay? And so these young ladies held themselves pure and they were able to have kids because they didn't have chlamydia or whatever, um, that would stop them from having kids. And the dads recognized this, that they were the only virgins around, and so these men were coming and asking the court, and he said, they would say, you got to find out about Jesus first before you find out about my daughter. And once they converted to Christianity, truly, then they were allowed to have their daughter in marriage, and that allowed the family to grow up in a Christian family, and that's what changed the Roman Empire. I learned that one from my history teacher in a public high school. Um, because it's fact. It's out there. And that just blew me away because the dads forced their daughters, in a sense, to be equally yoked, or actually they forced their future daters to become equally yoked with their daughters, right? Do not compromise in that. God has someone out there for you. I've seen people wait for years, right? Years, and God gives them someone wonderful. Josh and Jordan are the perfect example of that. Ben and his wife are too. And it's great to see how God has come alongside them and built this marriage because they waited and they got outside of this Laban relationship and they built it up for something better. So work on your relationship with God. When, we, when we're able to, to recognize counterfeiters out there in, in our relationships and in business practices, we will go, it will go well with us, right? My dad was telling me a story about Steve Barber, who's filling in for their 
church, and he said, if um, it's very rare that he sees a marriage fall apart if the couple is sexually pure and they have approval of their family. That that marriage, 99% of those marriages make it and they stay. If they're sexually pure before marriage and their family approves of that union before marriage. And he was telling that to a young lady and she said, I wish somebody would have told me that before I got married. But what do we know of God? There's hope for redemption when Jesus is in it. Always. I've seen God change marriages. I've seen God change me. And therefore has changed my marriage for the better. Right? He can do it. Second. Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit. Let us work together to complete holiness because we fear God. If you have godly parents, young people, follow their example. Right? If you need examples to follow, um, there should be some other godly men and women in this church that you can follow as well. I didn't always follow, like my dad's, I got a great dad, right? I got great grandparents and everything. There was aspects of each of those three men in my life that I followed. There's other people in my church that I followed the example of, and so I had a good rounded um, idea of what it meant to be a man, and not just from my father and how he treated me. But there's other things that my dad didn't do as well as other guys, and so I followed their example and what it meant. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of, of the Lord is the first step toward holiness. Holiness is separating ourselves from sin and getting to know God as our Lord and Savior is the first step in that journey. Because God graciously uses the circumstances and consequences and different difficult people over time to shape his people. And let's finish it off. 20 through 30, 21 through 30 says, Finally, the time came for him to marry Rachel. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zopah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off the younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided your promises, you promise to work another seven years for me. Whew, always a catch. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. And he then stayed and worked for Laban an additional seven years. God takes time to shape his people. We already see it hasn't started off on a good foot. You never marry two sisters. I've learned that from this story. Um, 
you never have more than one wife. I've learned that from this story as well. Many of the Old Testament stories, actually. Um, God calls us to monogamy uh, today, which means husband of one wife and one husband, right? For the wives. Jacob has to learn this over 20 years. He ends up having four wives because the, the two that are mentioned as the maidservants become his concubines and that they are the creator of the nation of Israel. They, have, they um, sire the nation of Israel. He worked seven years for Rachel and got Leah. He agrees to seven more years to get Rachel, and so he, he's a man of his word, and he does it. So 14 years he's worked, and we're going to find out he works six more years for his own flocks, right? And then he has to run away from Laban, but I don't want to give too much of the story away, but you can read ahead if you want. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of life lessons along the way, life lessons along the way that are good teachers, and many times, they're also very painful experiences, aren't they? And that's why we had our call to worship this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 8 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of many kinds come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Oh, yay, I get to go through this again. It's an opportunity for great joy. That's what my, my little angel on my shoulder is saying. Yeah, this could go good. No, it can't. That's my other guy saying. For now, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you ask for wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, conditional statement here, folks. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person whose divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So I wrap up. I have two more application points for this it says walk in faith when we walk in faith it requires endurance and requires us to grow in maturity i think it is particularly hard for men as we are comfortable remaining boys right i think it is hard for men because we are comfortable remaining Boys, we want to move from our mothers right straight to our wives and allow them to mother us as well. And that is not right. It is not biblical, but it is easy to do. It is easy to do. However, men, that does not give you the right to say, well, you must submit to me. Because if you are like Christ and you're imitating God, like it says in Ephesians chapter 1, or it's Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, it will be easy to submit to you if you're loving your wife in compassion. 
right? There is a balance there between the authority of the husband and the love of the husband. And they need to be in tandem with one another. That's what it comes straight out of scriptures in Ephesians. So we need to keep growing in maturity. Sometimes our maturity means that we need to learn how to love with compassion even more. I think this is particularly hard for men, like I said, because it is hard for us to open up our feelings and to know how to love with compassion. When we do, when we see what Jesus did, and we love like Jesus did, it allows us to mature into the men that we can be the leader of the household then. Right? God is calling us to maturity, to break the patterns of sin in our lives so that we can be bright lights in dark places. There's nothing more powerful than a man on fire for the Lord. Amen? I, I really don't think so. There's nothing more powerful when a man submits to the power of the Holy Spirit and follows in his footsteps. That is attractive. That is something that you want to see and that's something you're going to follow. That's something I follow. That's something that I search for. Right? And I'm willing to submit to somebody that's in that uh, pattern. So how do we get into that pattern? We ask for wisdom. As we walk toward holiness, we find that God is willing to give wisdom. And we walk down the correct path in the relationship with him. We need to test our loyalty to Lord to make sure it's not divided. Why do I think I need to go to this place? Is it because I'm going to serve the Lord or am I going to serve my sin nature? Why do I think I need to go to this college? Why do I think I need to have this thing? Why do I think I need to have this blessing? Why don't my parents understand? Why don't my kids understand? Right? Is my loyalty divided? Am I doing this out of selfish reasons? Or am I asking because I want what's best for them out of compassion for them? Whoa. That's hard. That's a hard sermon right there, folks. I've been dealing with it all week, so now I'm sharing the burden with you. <laughs> we need to test our loyalty to the Lord to make sure it's not divided. Am I asking this of my wife out of selfishness because I want her to submit to my authority? Or am I asking this because of it's what's best for her? Or a little bit of both. So I have some growing to do along with my wife. Huh. As we grow closer to the Lord, we will grow closer to one another. I can guarantee that. I've seen that in my marriage. I've seen it in other marriages. And I had a wise person give that to me as marital advice, and I haven't forgot it. We can ask our friends to help us along the way. Ask our friends Instead of evaluating yourself, ask your friends, do I have things to work on? Are you ready for that answer? And yes, I will keep my mouth shut when you answer. Godly people can offer godly wisdom. We can check out God's word. God's word is our roadmap for our life. We can be in prayer. God's direction can be found through God 
through prayer. That is an act of submission that God will honor when we take those requests to God. Because the peace of God will guard our hearts, minds, and soul in Christ Jesus. We can test the waters in faith. So if we pass the first three tests, the last one is, okay, I'm going to step out here. I'm going to see if it's okay. I'm going to find out if it's right and where I should go. And sometimes that water's really cold. And I can go, nope, nope, that's not where I should be. I shouldn't be there. I've done that with many occupations in my life. Get ready, have an opportunity to go forward, and the Lord says, you are not going to work for that person. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to take this job. I did that with your dad. I don't know if you knew that or not. Ben's dad offered me a job, and I said, I am not. The Lord just told me no. And it wasn't anything against them. It was just the path that he had for my life was to stay here, remain faithful, and uh, it was going to be doing both. Um, But I have a different path for you to take, and I learned a lot along that path, and it wasn't easy. It would have been easier to work work for Ben's dad. (laughs) But I learned a lot, and I'm grateful for those experiences. Right? When we doubt moving forward with with caution, usually re- reveals a good path to take. And if it isn't, if it's not a right path to take, then you also got to figure out the, how big is your parachute, right? So what do I mean by that? When you want to take a risk, right? The younger you are, the better opportunity is to take a risk, Okay. Because when you want to go for it, now's the time to go for it. Because you're young and you got the energy to do it. So if you want to take that risk, you have to know how big is your parachute. Because when you go out there and you run into some unknown place and you're about to fall, who's going to catch you? Do you have your support of your mom and dad? Do you have the support of your church family? Do you have the support of your friends and family, right? Because if you have those supports, then it's a lot easier to go boldly. Jacob had the support of his God, and that was it. And he went boldly for 20 years, right? And he comes back a changed man to his inheritance. Think about it. Jacob could have went home at any time. He's got the inheritance of his father. He has got flocks. He has got land. He has got what he needs there. All he has to do is go home. And he's a man of integrity, and he works for his wife, his second wife, and then his own crops and herds and things. That's pretty amazing because God's watching over him in his circumstances. God's watching over him with the people. God's walking over him and all this for a long, long time. And he will watch over you too. He's watched over me and I've seen it many times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that um, you're guiding us in the truth. Open up our eyes to see what you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.